look at the book of Isaiah. And let me tell you what I plan to do. Lord willing, um, I aim to do, there's about five major sections in Isaiah. And my plan is to preach uh, a section of Isaiah and then we'll do some other things. And then uh, over the next four or five years, we will cover the book of Isaiah together. That, that's the plan, Lord willing. But uh, my, uh, the plan is that we're going to preach from uh, chapter 1 through 12. And you'll be amazed to see the Christmas text we're going to have over December and as we go into the new year. The end of Isaiah says this, and let's bow our heads as we pray and come to God's word. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so we ask, Father, that you would give us humble, repentant hearts that fear you and obediently trust your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we hear the uh, announcement from the politician. But here in the UK, the moment that we love, well, the moment I love anyway, is when we go to Nick Robinson. And, yeah, we've heard what the politician has to say. We, we, we've heard, you know, all the stuff they say. But what we want to know is, what does Nick say is going on? And Nick stands outside and he says, um, well, he, he reveals to us the, the real significance of what's going on. And, we, and the, the bit that we all just get a bit excited about and we kind of jostle forward on the sofa is when he says something like this. He said, uh, but what I can reveal tonight from sources close to the Prime Minister, and you're going, yes, tell us. Uh, we love the political memoir, don't we? I mean, yes, we, we all observed the Tony Blair, Gordon Brown years. We heard rumors of how bad it was, but... But a lot of books have been sold since that government finished. Peter Mandelson, Alistair Campbell, and uh, Alistair Darling. And the books are, are devoured to find out what was really going on, to reveal the inside story. And you know, as we come to the book of Isaiah, this is what Isaiah is offering us. He's offering us the inside scoop of what was going on uh, for the in the time of, of Judah in the 8th century BC, as he, as he stood up and proclaimed his message to the people of Judah in the city of Jerusalem, uh, sort of in the 8th century before the coming of the Lord Jesus, he was promising to reveal the inside scoop. Have a look at it. Uh, open your Bibles again to page 685. Page 685. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Page 685 in the Church Bibles. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this was the time in which he ministered. And at the time that the Lord called Isaiah, uh, they had lived during a wonderful, peaceful, 
and prosperous reign of King Uzziah. Judah had been doing well. Uh, no worries about um, debt issues at that time. Prosperous, peaceful. And yet the Lord calls Isaiah to stand up and proclaim to the people the truth of what was really going on. To reveal to them uh, what was happening really behind the, uh, the courtrooms of power. To give them the inside scoop. And so what we have here is, is, is an inside look. Now, that, you might think, well, that's historical, Paul. Why does that interest me? Well, look with me who the, uh, the source is. It comes from the very highest authority. Look at verse 2. Hear, O heavens. Listen, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Isaiah is telling us that the visions he saw of God is what he's speaking out. He saw visions of God that revealed what God was really like and revealed what uh, the, 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 the real history was around them. Don't be deceived with your eyes, with the prosperity and, and apparent peace that you see, Isaiah says. All is not well. The Lord has spoken. And because of the nature of that source, this message has great relevance for us today. For the God who was revealing himself then is the same God today. And, and, and what he reveals uh, uh, about uh, history uh, is still unfolding before us. In fact, we'll find that uh, as we read this book, uh, that the heavens and the earth are called to give witness to these events because by the end of it, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. So some of the events of this book have, have indeed happened. They've been historically fulfilled. But there are other events that are yet to be fulfilled, which would swallow and catch us up. So my friends, this is well worth us paying serious attention as we consider the book of Isaiah together. In fact, you will learn more about real history if you switch off the BBC and you'll read this book. You'll learn more. You'll be richer because you'll know who God really is. You'll know the truth about human beings. You'll know the, the reality of what's really going on behind the, uh, the, the history of the world. And you'll know the end for which everything is heading. Adam and Lucy, uh, a Christian couple, they had two children of their own. And they decided to uh, adopt Jane. They showed her a lot of love and care. She came from a pretty rough background. Uh, she'd been in, um, of, under the fostering service, uh, been around lots of houses, and they finally adopted this girl into their home. Uh, they took her to church. They showed her love and care. They cared for her as if she was their very own child. But as Jane got older, uh, she just seemed to take a perverse delight in doing the very things that would upset her parents. She knew what they valued, and it's as if she wanted to stamp on those very things. She would deliberately provoke. She, she would push all their buttons. Uh, she knew their views on, on how to live their life, and she just went out and did the exact opposite. She would go out on Saturday night, go to all the nightclubs, and do all the things that she knew her parents would just just worried sick for her. 
John fell in love with uh, this uh, lovely woman. Uh, she claimed to be a Christian. Uh, they set up home together. They started going to church together. Um, his wife used to sing as one of the uh, singers in the band, one of the backing singers in the band. And uh, yet, as the years went on, their marriage just sort of got colder and colder. And um, the terrible news came uh, one day for John when he discovered that his wife was having an affair with her boss at work. Uh, she still said she was a Christian, uh, still wanted to go to church, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't her fault. You know, she's a victim of love. What could she do? They were in love, and uh, she was leaving. Well, those two kind of, they, they, I've changed the names, but those are true stories. They give us an insight into sort of the pain and the wrongness of what is being talked of in Isaiah chapter 1. We are seeing in this chapter a breakdown of relationship between Judah and their covenant-keeping God. And Isaiah has to lift the lid on this situation. He's given the task of proclaiming a, a very painful message. In fact, the, the words of verse 2, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, are actually words to invoke a courtroom scene. Appropriate that a police car went off. There we are. Keep your finger in Isaiah and turn back to Deuteronomy 30 as the, the covenant was reiterated through Moses. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Did I say reiterated? That's a big word. I don't know where these words come from. Uh, Deuteronomy 30. And you'll find this on page 209. Look at verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses made it very clear, didn't he? He called the heavens and the earth to witness that they were entering voluntarily into this covenant with God, this relationship with God. They knew the terms of the covenant. They would enjoy all the blessings of the land and blessings of relationship with God if they walked in obedience to his word. And yet if they chose to disobey, the inevitability of the curses would come. The land would be taken away. Uh, they would be destroyed as a people. 
And so Isaiah comes onto a, a, a world stage moment where actually, although they've had difficulties, the, the, the kingdom has been divided, the northern kingdom is its own country, the south has done rather well. All looks well. And Isaiah speaks, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And there's two terrible charges to bring before the law court. Number one, uh, these children are rebellious children. And verse 21, this city that uh, was called to be a faithful city has become a whore. Those are the two charges. Firstly, then, we see God reasoning with rebellious children. Look at verse 2b. I reared children. I brought them up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Now, I know that there are people in the church today, and they know the pain of this. Oh, they've loved their children. They've raised their children to know and fear the Lord. And yet their children are nowhere spiritually. And there are very uh, misleading parenting books out there uh, in certain Christian bookstores that suggest if you, if you follow their pattern, if you do it the right way, then you can have guaranteed success that you can have uh, believing children who are, who are a delight to be around and all will be well if you follow uh, you know, their 10-step program and especially if you go and do their away day course as well. And I know that some labor with ongoing guilt and think, oh, could I have done better? Could I have, could I have done more as a parent? Well, I, I want to encourage you today that, 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 that God is the perfect parent. God was the perfect parent. What more could he have done for this people? And yet, his people had become rebellious children. The problem was not the parent, it was the rebellious heart. Listen to the pain in these verses. In fact, uh, in, chapter, in verse 4, you have all these words that speak of their privilege as God's people. And yet they're tied to these awful words of rebellion. Look at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt. A brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. What pain. How awful. And there are two words in that verse that if we know our Bibles, we know do not go well together. Verse 4, sinful nation... And then the Holy One of Israel. These two things cannot long abide together. A sinful nation and a holy God. And God had been so patient. He had warned through other prophets. And again, he sends another prophet to say, look, the curses will come. The curses of the Mosaic Covenant will be upon you. 
And, and yet the Lord graciously one more time sends Isaiah. And Isaiah is trying to reason with the people. To reason with these rebellious children. Saying it's not too late. He, he, he calls on them to consider the political disaster that was coming. Now, it would be very hard for them to believe this. All was looking well when he began his ministry. Uh, but uh, they were facing political disaster. Verse 5, there will be a day coming when they would look like a punch-drunk boxer who doesn't know when he's beaten and they're still up for more. Verse 5, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and bruises and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. That was their political future. That would be the state of Judah by the time that Assyria would come and conquer the north and then come sweeping down to surround Jerusalem in the south. Isaiah says, why, why, why would you want that? Why will you not learn? Can you not see the beating that is coming your way? There will be a day when the people of Jerusalem will, would look out, and this is what it would look like. Verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities burn with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion, uh, Jerusalem, will sit there like a, like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. In fact, they would just become like the, the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that would be destroyed. Apart from this, verse 9, unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. He's reasoning with them. Look at the political disaster that will come your way unless you, unless you turn. And, and he talks about the spiritual disaster, verse 10 to 17. Now, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, oh, well, uh, I, I can imagine what's going. They'd, uh, they'd uh, stop being religious. You know, God's ticked off because they're not being religious enough. I bet you that's what's, that's what, that is what's going on. But you know what? It's the exact opposite. The, the, there's two ironies here. Number one is that these rebellious children are very religious. And secondly, God hates their religion. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of your God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I've got more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. No, the, the temple in Judah was, was full of religious activity. You know, uh, the, the Lord says, um, verse 12, What's all this trampling of my courts? Lots of temple worship. Lots of animal sacrifices. Lots of religious observance. In fact, they were making up more religious festivals. These people uh, looked very religious. And God says to them, I can't stand your assemblies. They're evil to me. 
I don't know if you ever get tired of, of, of religion. God does. God gets tired of empty religion. Because it's a religion that's devoid of reality. And it's shown by the fact that their lives are devoid of morality. See, look at verse um, 16. Or verse 15. End of verse 15. See, they're busily praying a lot. They're raising their hands in prayer. They come to the temple, they pray. And God says, I, I, I won't listen because your hands are covered in blood. And it is the blood of injustice and wickedness and evil as they head out in the rest of their lives. Verse 16, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fathers. Plead the cause of the widow. <clears throat> what matters to God is not that we put on a good religious show on the weekend. It's whether we've got true heart obedience that shows our love for him throughout the rest of the week. That's what God cares about. It's not coming up over the weekend and, and doing our religious duty. You think he's impressed? Not so. God desires heart obedience. That's what a holy God wants. Not religious ritual. And Isaiah points out not only that they're like rebellious children, but they're also like a prostitute of a city. Verse 21, see how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They love bribes. They chase after gifts. They don't defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Now, unless we think this is just a, an Old Testament concern, let's remind ourselves of uh, James chapter 1. It was read to us earlier today. We should not deceive ourselves. We learn what uh, is true religion. In James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. It's not for us about what goes on on a Sunday. It's about you know, the way we live our life in the rest of the week, the, the way we speak with our tongues. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What value in coming to church and, and saying, oh, we worship you, God, we love you, God, and yet we go out and, and uh, we do nothing to care for those in our fellowship who are defenseless and poor and needy. God is not interested in 
all our songs per se and our gatherings and our meetings and our offerings and our buildings so much as he desires a people whose lives reflect the wonderful gospel and are lived out in the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to others in the world. And Isaiah wants to warn the people. He wants to warn them. They have become whores. They have false lovers. When you boil it down, they love money. They love sex. They love power. Pretty contemporary. Some things don't go out of fashion. See, John's wife, who's living in an adulterous relationship, wants to say, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm following him. Why are you upset at me? It was love. What could I do? We'd have to say, your Christian profession is empty. It's worthless. It can't be taken seriously. And though you might find another church where you can stand up and sing Sunday by Sunday up front and lead others in worship, God is saying, I detest that worship. Would you stop singing? Would you stop repeating that chorus? Would you stop it? I'm sick of it. Stop doing wrong. Do right. Or Jane, breaking the hearts of her parents, does she realize that actually what's really going on is that she's rebelling against God? It's no good turning up on a Sunday and, and looking like you're one of the Christian people when you go out and spend the rest of the weekend just kind of getting drunk and, and uh, chasing guys and living a, a, a life of kind of unrepentant sin. It just does not fit together. You know, what's all the pretense about coming on a Sunday? You know, who, who do you think you're fooling? You know, as you sing your songs, you think God is impressed with that? He's not. I just wish you'd stop pretending to pray. Stop doing wrong. Do right. So Isaiah's message is very sobering, isn't it? To stand before God's people and say, you're rebellious children. Your church, it's like a harlot. So many false lovers during the week. That's a tough message. But listen to the sweetness of the gospel appeal, verse 18. Come now. This is the Lord, the Holy One. Come now, come. Let's reason together. We've heard the case in the courtroom. No doubt about the evidence. 
guilty as charged. And God says, come now. Let's reason together. Here's an incredible offer. Here's an incredible opportunity for the judgment falls. The judge says this, come let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, bright red, unmissable, and no, no one can, everybody sees it. They shall be white as snow. Though you are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What an amazing gospel appeal. Here's the condition. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the swords. The Lord offers this amazing possibility that all the guilt can be washed away, the ugly stains can be removed if they will repent and return to the Lord and willingly obey his words. But that, that is the rub, isn't it? That's where it gets really awkward. Because actually, as we read on, as we're going to read on in Isaiah's ministry, and actually from the outset when Isaiah... When the Lord called Isaiah, he said, I'm going to give you a job, Isaiah, and it's going to be a complete failure. Because they would not repent. They would not heed God's word. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, not only offers this gospel appeal of cleansing and forgiveness, he says, actually, I'm going to do the work of purifying a people for myself. That's what's going on in uh, verses 21 onwards. Look at verse 24. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. As we're going to read the story of Isaiah, we're going to see how God actually has to bring this judgment upon not only the northern country of Israel, but Judah itself. And how that he is going to use this uh, judgment to purify a people who will be eager to do his will, who will heed his call to repentance and receive forgiveness. Verse 26, I will restore your judges in the days of old, your counsel at the beginning. Afterwards, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. In essence, this chapter one gives you an overview of the whole book. The book starts with them being the, the, the faithless harlot city. But by the end, we're going to see a glorious, beautiful, faithful city, a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven that comes down to a transformed world. This is, this is the big story of Isaiah. This is the big story of history. And we're going to see through this book uh, pictures that prepare us for how God would do it through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see hints there, verse 27. You will be redeemed. With justice. There's a redemption that's coming. We're going to see it's bound up with a, a servant of the Lord, his own son. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect one who is willing to stand as a substitute for sinners, we're going to discover. The one who was perfectly obedient and who takes the place of disobedient people so that they could be cleansed and washed and purified and brought back into the joyous relationship uh, that he knew with his father, brought into that very same relationship. And if this is your last Sunday in church, let me tell you that this event that was prophesied, it's, it's already taken place. The Lord Jesus has come. He died upon the cross. There is a way today for those who will recognize their sin, who recognize that their lives have been lived in rebellion. There is a way back to God. This offer is still on the table. I don't know whether you're coming in today and you're just saying, actually, you, d- you don't know me. My life is too bad. My life is t- I've met people like this. My life is too bad. I need, to, I need to improve myself before you know, I come along to church. My life is too bad. God's not interested in me. God would not care about me. Maybe there's a rebellious child here today and you have rebelled against godly parents and you know that you're rebelling against God. And, and you, you've felt the knocks. You've taken the beatings. You feel the soreness. You feel the, the pain that has come from disobeying God. And I want to say to you, whatever you've done in the past, this offer's on the table. Come. Let's reason together, says the Lord Almighty, though your sins are like scarlet. You can be made white as snow. He has made full provision in his own son, his own precious son, dying in our place. His blood can purify us from all unrighteousness. Have you done that? Have you come to him? Come to him today. Why endure the beatings? of living in rebellion against God. Come. You can be made whole. You can be forgiven and made right. Do you know what? He'll do that work in your heart, purifying you. And give you a new heart that wants to obey Him. The Lord Jesus said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Come to him. He'll forgive you. He'll fill you with his spirit. He'll give you grace that wants to please him and walk in his ways. Will you repent? Will you repent? Will you repent? Will you repent? Heed the warnings, my friend. Are the warnings not clear? For those who continue in rebellion, well, you're in the city that's heading for judgment. It says in verse 20 that they'll be devoured, broken, they will perish. 
the gardens that they delighted in, the gardens of their idolatry, of their false loves, will actually be destroyed and they'll be disgraced in those gardens. Those, those gardens that promise such delights end up corrupting and will one day be utterly judged. Do not continue in rebellion. Return to the Lord today. Enter his city of salvation by trusting the gospel. So what will you to do? What will you do today? What will you do today? Will you rebel or repent? Are you amongst those who are perishing? Or are you amongst those who are being purified? Are you part of the unfaithful city or are you part of the faithful city? Are you just one who's merely outwardly religious? Or are you one of those in whom there is a true godliness of life? Where you are so thankful for the gospel. You're so thrilled to work it out in everything about your life. Come now. Let's pray.